Hello, and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, the Notebook Dump Edition. Congratulations, you've made it to yet another week. Uh, this is, uh, let's see, for the week ending, what, Friday, March 24th, I guess? Am I correct? Okay. Look at the calendar. Yep. Yeah, good job. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's the least I can do. Uh, we've got Mike Dano, Nicole Ferraro, and Jeff Baumgartner joining me. Hello, guys. Hello. Hey, Phil. Nice so, to see you. How's everybody doing? Um, more importantly, uh, is everyone's sleep schedule back to normal yet? Now that we've had a few days to get over daylight savings and all that. No, I've, no. I've never had one. Yeah. A normal sleep schedule in my life. So. <laughs> every, every night's an adventure. Is that, yeah. Every night. Yeah. I'm just prepping for what kind of, what, what kind of show am I in for? That's what I was really asking. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, we'll just power right through it. Um, a quick, uh, content spotlight for me before we get into what's in, uh, everyone's notebooks. Um, uh, so I was, you know, sick, uh, most of last week, but I did uh, attend bits and pieces of the cable next gen conference in Denver. Um, high altitude plus allergies, good times. Uh, let me tell you, my, my head is still resonating from all that. Um, but I, I, one of the things I came away with, uh, it, it, and it was, it was, it reminded me today because, uh, we posted, uh, Jamie Lenderman's, uh, from Omdia, her presentation about, uh, uh, a pond survey uh, from cable uh, of uh, service providers and in, in the cable space. And it made me think, is there really an argument anymore for cable over fiber? Uh, except for the, of course, the very, very, very last mile stuff, because in her presentation, she showed that uh, whether you have an HFC network or a pond based network, it seems like the, the only constant is that the more fiber you put into your network, the lower your operating cost get. And so uh, if, if you uh, aren't following that logic or you're a, a person in the cable industry that, that I just made you real mad by saying that, um, uh, please do go look at her stuff because uh, in her presentation because she, uh, she lays out the, the logic nicely. It is based on a survey, so this is getting the input of all kinds of other operators. And it does, I think, illustrate really well um, the progress that the cable industry is making to compete directly uh, with fiber to the home. But also, um, the uh, you know how how the industry is not just this big monolith anymore. Uh, all the different cable operators are behaving differently according to uh, their own market conditions, their own ownership structure, and other dynamics. So, uh, so cable is a super interesting place uh, uh, yet again, and uh, you should go and uh, check out our coverage of that conference, but also uh, check out Miss Linderman's uh, presentation. And now. Uh, why don't we go around the horn and see what's uh, happening out there? Um, let's see, Nicole, since since there's nothing on the run sheet uh, with, with your name on it, I'll start with you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Sorry, lost at the document. Uh, need to find it. Um, but uh, so I was going to give a quick update on broadband nutrition labels or consumer broadband labels, whatever we're calling them these days. Um, I wrote earlier this week about the latest round of comments on the rules for the labels and some of the ongoing disagreements between service providers and public interest advocates. Now, you may be thinking, but Nicole, I thought that the FCC was required by the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2021 to have already published those rules within one year of that law's passing. Now, so of course, you're <laughs> that's exactly, yes. I mean, you're thinking of other stuff too, but I can't reveal that. Um, but yeah, so you are thinking that. Um, and guess what? You're right. 
you're correct. Now, the FCC did follow that mandate. It published rules for broadband labels in late November of last year. Um, but in those published rules, it also included a further notice of proposed rulemaking requesting comment on some unresolved issues, thus meeting its mandate and kicking the can down the road simultaneously um, uh, in line with the legal language of the IIJA, though. So um, anyway, so those unresolved issues include uh, the number of languages that the labels have to be published in, um, whether ISPs should have to identify if a price on a label is a promotional rate, uh, whether to include some kind of reliability metrics and some other stuff. Um, the short summary is that ISPs are anti all that stuff and uh, the public interest groups are pro that stuff. And in this latest batch of filings, the groups representing service providers, including WISPA, ACA Connects, uh, US Telecom, also made the point that the labels um, should move forward with the new rules as written rather than amending something that we haven't tried yet. Um, so we'll see how all this gets resolved, but these rules are expected to be put in place sometime next year. So um, stay tuned. I enjoy how uh, touchy ISPs are about uh, labeling the product that they sell, uh, for which they spend millions on advertising claiming to be the best network here and the best network there and the lowest price network there and whatever. But at the minute you want to put a shred of proof next to it, they completely fold like a cheap tent. What a bunch of cowards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the real sticking point from my reading of these filings, I think, is the uh, the bit about if a price on a label needs to be uh, identified as promotional rate. Um, currently, it's, it looks like in the existing rules, they would be able to include a link with further information about that rate. Um, but uh, groups like Next Century Cities and Consumer Reports point, report, Consumer Reports pointed out that uh, that you know, adds a barrier for people who aren't, you know, super digitally literate. And, um, you know, it's a, kind of the, the basic piece of information that would make these labels useful to consumers. Um, and they, they assert that ISPs have a good reason to hide that information. ISPs assert that they don't. So we will see who the FCC agrees with. Uh, I have a guess, but uh, yeah. time will tell. <laughs> and this is very selfish of me, but personally, until my sister-in-law and mother-in-law stop calling me to interpret any broadband information that they are coming across in the in the in the world, then I'm not going to be convinced that any of the labeling is working. Uh, at no, all because all of this is going to make our lives worse. Is, is downright confusing. Um, it it is absolutely on its face, completely confusing to most consumers because you don't just come straight out and say what you're charging them anyway, and then you you know cloud it up even more by adding uh, expiring timelines and it depends on the length of your contract and blah, 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 blah. If you have such a good product, why can't you just sell it at a competitive price and just say what you're going to charge for it? So maybe it's not a good product. Just putting that out there. Boom. <laughs> Thank you for the sound. That's a, that's a that's drop the, your mic, that, then I don't want you to break it. That, it no, I don't exactly. want to drop this mic. Uh, also, Kelsey's not here, so I don't have sound effects. So right. boom is perfect. Thanks. Boom. You're, you're welcome. Uh, anyway, before I get uh, dig myself into any more trouble, uh, let's, let's pivot over to Jeff. Uh, you're talking about uh, Buy American Concerns. Right. Yeah. Uh, this week, I had an opportunity to wade into... Uh, Nicole's world a little bit, uh, and I, I guess I survived. Um, <laughs> I didn't drown, uh, but uh, you know, I took a closer look at some of the comments from 
some industry experts and some associations about the, um, like Phil said, the Buy American conditions that are being tied into the uh, the bead program. Um, I learned a lot. I mean, it was good to, to dig in there because I know Nicole's been all over this, but uh, it was good to kind of go, kind of get my bearings a little bit because um, it does uh, kind of drift you know, into the uh, uh, my world a little bit. But um, the general concern from organizations like NCTA and, 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 and ACA Connects and, and WISPA was in there too, is that the restrictions, uh, if they're strictly enforced, threatened, to, they say that it could significantly delay bead rollouts or maybe prevent uh, someone from bidding because they can't meet the Buy America requirements or uh, they, they feel that they can't meet the deployment uh, structure or timelines. And uh, in building manufacturing here in the U.S. for some components that are generally uh, made in markets like China and Taiwan, we, they would argue take take years to build, um, even if you can get someone to build it in the first place. But um, so that's kind of being viewed as a bit of a non-starter in the argument, even though we did see a Corning is one example is building a fiber manufacturing plant in uh, Arizona. But um, I think there's some hope or some belief too that uh, they will allow for some waivers that could provide some wriggle room here. Um, we don't really know what that wriggle room is going to be. Uh, so like one example is like if a chip is designed and developed here, but made in Taiwan, you know, can that meet the requirement or not? Um, you know, that's a question. And then um, we did read, I think it was NTIA's chief Fallon Davidson did. I think he had said it was like a Verizon event in, in, in Washington, DC said there were, will be some waivers of some sort, but the bar is going to be pretty high. So uh, pretty vague in terms of what what that means. But um, it definitely sounds like there's not going to be like some sort of rubber stamp or if anybody who thinks there's just going to be a rubber stamp, they're going to be sadly uh, disappointed. So that was one big thing. The other quick thing was uh, the, the Comcast Altitude thing came to a disappointing end if you're a uh, fan of the Denver Nuggets or the Colorado Avalanche because it didn't result in a new carriage deal. Um, it was just kind of kicking the can down the road, sort of. But um, there's some talk about maybe Comcast offering altitude on a premium basis, kind of like what you'd like an HBO type of thing. And who knows what the cost would be? You know, maybe it'd be 20 bucks, uh, which. Uh, I think would be kind of around the neighborhood of what you'd have to pay on a standalone basis for this thing. So, yeah, yeah, it's a little high. But I was thinking back though on that because the uh, when Ivaca was still around, that TV service that did uh, kind of a blend of over the air and, and broadband streaming, they carried Altitude, and their service was twenty five dollars a month. So I actually subscribed to that as like an add on just to get Altitude. And then they went kaput at the end of last year. So really the option is DirecTV or uh, Fubo, but then you're still paying $60, $80 a month. So uh, a little, not exactly uh, the same thing from an add-on perspective. It's a little, little lofty to do that. But um, the bigger thing though, I think the, the whole case speaks to the bigger problem that regional sports networks are facing is we've got pay TV subscribers 
continuing to plummet and the whole pay TV model is breaking down. So, you know, the RSNs are trying to figure how do we survive through all this? So those are a couple of the big things uh, last few days for me. Yeah, it's going to be weird too, because the, um, uh, the appetite for college and regional sports is higher than ever um, on a national basis, but getting access to get the games at, you know, for various teams is going to be more and more difficult as people pivot away from the pay TV model. Like you pointed out, it's like, um, you know, the pay TV model did kind of cover over some of that stuff because you were essentially paying. Most people were paying for channels that no one watched, but the people that did watch those are now stuck with having to pay ridiculous amounts for, you know, arguably very little content, you know, and right. Um, yeah. You think about a regional sports network, most of the time you're going to watch the live games and then what do you do the other 21 hours of the day? You're probably not watching a whole bunch uh, on yeah. that network. And uh, yeah, I think that the pay TV operators have been kind of weighing, you know, do we, uh, you know, our full base of subscribers, don't want to all pay for these sports networks uh, that, that aren't interested in having them. So uh, it's kind of an interesting time. I mean, I didn't even mention the the Diamond Sports thing with all the Bally Sports, regional sports networks. I mean, they're, they filed for bankruptcy. So it's like another, you know, big problem <laughs> that, that's kind of come up in the, uh, the RSN arena. But I'm not, I'm not sure where it goes because I think going direct to consumer is a technical option, but – yeah, you know, then you're dealing with customer acquisition costs and, and churn, and uh, it's like a different ball of wax in terms of trying to be profitable. Yeah, yeah it's 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 definitely a complex issue, and added adding to the complexity on both the bead front and the regional sports network front yeah. is the fact that we're in a bit of a tech and sl- slightly economic downturn right now. Yeah. You know, with companies, uh, you know, laying people off, and then they're just being kind of a you know, added supply chain worries and issues because of the instability of the labor force. So that's, yeah. that's obviously going to affect, uh, you know, everything from coverage to the games, to the marketing budgets that are available to tell people about the coverage to, in the bead case of bead, you know, it's just going to delay, um, every, you know, the, the, the already backed up, uh, supply chain, in terms of uh, you know American companies or North American companies getting uh, g- getting product out to service providers and whoever needs product before their financial deadlines kick in, which are related to government funding, so a um, little bit of tension all over the place. Uh, no wonder people are so, so touchy. <laughs> what are you talking uh, about? I'm not touchy. <laughs> I don't know. I just uh, I've been hung up on a couple of times. I'm just, I'm just passing that along. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mike, uh, do you have any uh, uh, any information about the Denver Nuggets? And if not, please uh, carry on with what you were going to talk about. Uh, I believe that they are a basketball team that plays basketball. Marina, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Mike's yeah. always sticking to the facts. I love it. No, I just I believe that they they do that same game with the basketball and the hoops. Um, good. Yeah. yeah, no, but uh, aside from uh, regional sports networks, uh, the disaster that's uh, linear TV. Um, I, I so this week I had a look at um, uh, the uh, the latest uh, announcement from the National Advertising Division 
of the BBB National Programs, which is legitimately the full name of this organization. Basically, it's a it's a an advertising arbiter. So all the companies that issue ads on TV and elsewhere, um, uh, they voluntarily participate in this uh, advertising arbiter program because the job of this national advertising division is to like evaluate the ads, whether they're truthful or not. Uh, and so the latest decision uh, this week by the national advertising division is that T-Mobile does not operate the most reliable 5G network, according to Umlaut. That's the, that's the new decision that came down from this organization. And so basically what happened is AT&T complained about T-Mobile's most reliable 5G ads. They complained right. to this national advertising division. The national advertising division looked at these ads, evaluated them, you know, uh, uh, figured out, you know, who T-Mobile was citing for its, you know, information. And basically the, the, this, uh, advertising arbiter organization decided that actually, no, it does, uh, the, the ads that T-Mobile was putting out doesn't, you know, they don't rise to the level that it, it, um, it has, it says, um, um, that, uh, the, this group found that it could not determine with certainty that the organization that T-Mobile was citing accurately measures the task completion in a consumer relevant way. So, that's uh, that was their determination. And what's interesting about this particular announcement is that um, T-Mobile said uh, they said, OK, that they were going to stop those ads and they're going to comp- comply with this um, advertising arbiter, their recommendations. Um, so we won't see those T-Mobile ads anymore. But I mean, in the broader context that the, these announcements have been the, the, this national advertising division, they've been putting out announcements like this at a pretty regular clip every week or two. We have another one of these announcements where they evaluate somebody's ads and make a determination as to whether or not they're they're sort of legitimate or not. And then what what can happen is that the you know T-Mobile and the companies that are involved have an opportunity to um, uh, to uh, you know say whether or not they agree with that. They can and they can you know continue to uh, uh, try to fight against it. But in this case, T-Mobile has just given up and they're going to stop those ads. And so. Potentially, they'll be able to have different ads that talk about network reliability, citing different sources, which would sort of start the whole thing over again. But this is this is the kind of thing, you know, in the in the whole 5G advertising warfare situation, these companies actually spend billions of dollars on these ads, you know, and so um, their goal is to just get the message out. And probably my assumption is that T-Mobile feels like it has gotten the message out and those ads have done their job. And now they may move on to a different, you know, set of ads, citing a different source and sort of start the whole thing over again. But yeah, it's kind of, it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, area to look at, you know, this whole advertising and and how the advertising industry collectively monitors itself and and makes determinations on what's legitimate and what's not. So that's out of my notebook today. Cool. What's up, Jeff? So, yeah, I've been... Seeing this as well, Mike and I have both been kind of been reporting all the complaints and everything about advertising. This probably dates me a little bit, but um, reminds me a little bit of uh, that. I don't know if everybody remembers that movie, Crazy People, where they had like uh, <laughs> I've lived it. I don't think I've seen it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a, a, a group of uh, folks who were in a home or whatever, but uh, 
they were brought on to bring truth to advertising because, you know, they can break through all the clutter. So like one of the, I think there was a Volvo commercial, they became, they're boxy, but good was the, uh, was the ad message on that. So there was like that for like a lot of things. Uh, so anyway, maybe, you know, the, the, uh, the ad mavens out there can, you know, uh, go on, go to their VOD system, pull up uh, crazy people with, um, uh, I'm trying to remember who was in it, but, um, you know, maybe they can take a lesson from that. That yeah. would be kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I, I had a couple of quick questions. Did the, did the, uh, did the AT&T complain about T-Mobile's network uh, uh, via uh, letter because they couldn't get through? Because the, the network was so bad. <laughs> ah, zing. That came to mind. And then um, also, as I'm walking around at the zoo, so I've got the insect area here and then the pachyderms over here. Are the arbiters somewhere in the middle there? Is that is that are they kind of in the same general area? Well, I mean, I, I feel like they need to – and the whole name is National Advertising Division of BBB National Programs. And for an you. advertising organization, you'd think that they'd have a little bit something snappier than. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they talked to the cable engineers, you know, that came up with Doxus, you know. I mean, it's yeah. put your best ad guy on that. <laughs> My wife. Yeah. All right. Well, we're probably going to hear from them after this uh, broadcast. So, so yeah. they'll send us a letter. Box. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Um, let's see. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, flash poll. Um, uh, this from the Associated Press: uh, More than half of the uh, 50 U.S. states have banned uh, TikTok from uh, official devices. So devices for uh, people who've been employed by the government. Uh, the same holds in uh, the U.S. Armed Forces and also in Congress. So uh, if you're in the uh, the Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marines, you can't have TikTok on your phone if you're employed uh, uh, by Congress or by at least half the states. You can't have TikTok on your phone. So my uh, flash poll is simply, um, is it possible that TikTok is now much cooler and better than ever? <laughs> I would say, yeah, definitely. Yes. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I have subversively today been watching the TikTok, ban TikTok no. house hearing on right. TikTok. Wow. How about what that? What do you think of that? Yeah. You are supremely cool. Yeah. <laughs> Double layer yeah. of cool. Yeah. Good luck. I'm the opposite. I don't I even know. have TikTok on just... an unofficial device. That's how bad I am. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, that's uh, living yeah. a different life. Well, yeah, after this, I got to update my MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> after all yeah, of that, Geo I just cities. I, I got all that going on. Oh yeah, yeah. Make sure you uh, you get the. Uh, uh, I wish. I need my front I page we still back there. Oh, I can uh, be out with that. Um, I uh, I've been slow to get into to you know to TikTok and download it and watch things and stuff like that, but uh, but now I'm actually considering it because there's so many. Um, uh, what I would consider unsavory characters are now not, not on it. Uh, we'll see how this whole privacy <laughs> thing goes. Maybe that's a, a you know a security risk, and uh, I certainly don't want any more of my data out there uh, because, gosh, Facebook didn't just screw us all over for 15 years. So, um, you know, yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what do we have to be Only afraid of? Once. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. uh, but, I, but I'm glad that now somebody cares about exactly. where our data is. It, Mm. social media yeah, yeah it's yeah, nice right it's cute, <laughs> it's cute. Nice. 
them to play catch up. <laughs> All right. Uh, before I get in any more trouble, that will wrap up the notebook dump edition for uh, forever. Not, not forever. <laughs> Closing out the week ending uh, Friday, March 24th. 23. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.